Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report for Friday the 24th of March. I'm Anthony Day and I bring you sustainability stories, ideas and interviews without advertising, subsidy or sponsorship. Find the text and links to most stories at anthonyday.blogspot.com. The main part of this week's Sustainable Futures Report is an interview with psychologist Dr. Jan Maskell. But before we get to that, we'll call in to the No Surprises department. It's no surprise, unfortunately, that 2016 has now been confirmed as the warmest year on record. That's just like 2015 and 2014 and so on and so on. The warmest February on record has just drawn to a close, so 2017 looks like one for the record books as well. One thing that didn't make the headlines was a consequent 15mm rise in sea levels, about five times the previous average. Bad news for coastal cities like New York, Singapore, Sydney, London and many, many others. It's no surprise that the G20, influenced by the US and Saudi Arabia, has dropped from its latest communique any reference about willingness to finance measures to combat climate change as agreed in Paris in 2015. The B20, 20 leading global businesses, has fought back. Climate change represents one of the largest risks to sustainable development, inclusiveness, equitable economic growth and financial stability, they said. It's no surprise that Donald Trump's proposed budget for the Environmental Protection Agency involves a cut of $2.6 billion back to 1990s levels and a reduction of 3,200 employees in the EPA workforce back to 1980s levels. There's a detailed rundown of the cuts at salon.com, S-A-L-O-N.com. But are we downhearted? Well, Jan Maskell certainly isn't. Alone, we may not change the world, but together, we just might. In my conversation with Jan, she explained her progress from architecture and the civil service to qualifications in psychology, which is now the basis of her business. She told me why sustainability is important to her and how it is embedded in her lifestyle at Lancaster Co-Housing. We mentioned how some politicians may have attempted to use psychological techniques to influence voters. I shared links to the story about Cambridge Analytica with her, and you can find them on the blog. Jan recommended a number of information resources, including jeremyleggett.net, which you've heard me mention several times before, and a book, The Switch, by Chris Goodall. She's also contributed to an article in Huffington Post about hidden agendas behind your children's education. Scary stuff. Here's the interview. My guest today is Jan Maskell, who is an occupational psychologist. She has uh, an MSc in occupational psychology from Liverpool John Moores University, a PhD in educational research from Lancaster. She's a chartered psychologist, a chartered member of CIPD, which is the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, and she's a member of the British Psychological Society. So Jan, psychology clearly plays a big part in your life. When did you first get interested in it? 
Um, it was when I was working in management development. I'd made a, a move from my chosen career, which was in architecture, mm-hmm. um, and I worked for the civil service, but the amount of work that they were producing in-house was going down. So I had an option of leaving the civil service or staying there and taking a secondment. And I chose to take a secondment into their management development department, um, which was quite a big shift. Um, But that was only supposed to be for a couple of years. But I found that I actually was enjoying that more than doing the architecture. And that seemed to have more of a future for me. So I worked in that for a while and then became interested in the psychology of management and management development. So I started doing an open university degree and that really, it just took off from there. So I think my interest came from working with people, um, primarily managers, and looking at how to develop those them. And I think that's, that's what's led me into the, the occupational psychology route. Right. Now, there's one other qualification, of course, which I haven't mentioned, uh, and that is that you're an associate of IEMA, the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment, which is the professional body for uh, sustainability professionals. Uh, How does that fit in with with psychology and architecture and your background in the civil service and so on? Um, That came about because of my interest in sustainability. So I had these two tracks of um, developing organizations and managers and a personal interest in sustainability and I am a great one for taking courses and studying and um, that obviously leads to qualifications as a long list you've given at the beginning Um, and I I did a a level four qualification in environmental management and that led me to become a member of IEMA Um, and those those two um, interests, I think, are, are what drives a lot of the work that I do. Right, you have an interest then in sustainability. Yes. Uh, how, how does that affect your daily life? I mean, are you able to, have you got the opportunity to walk the talk? Absolutely, yes, yes. Um, I strive to live a, a very low carbon lifestyle and I have moved into an eco co housing community. Um, I live in a passive house. Oh yes. Which means that my um, energy use is very low, so my heating and energy use is very low. And co-housing as a concept um, leads towards lots of sharing, so that also leads to lots of saving. So we share things like um, communal facilities, laundry. Uh, we share quite a lot of meals together. So the the 40 other households that are in this community we come together to eat several times a week um, but I have my own house that I can go back to so we also have a car club um, so I no longer own a car but I can book a car for any amount of time that I want to through the car club that we've set up so there, there are lots of different ways that I personally try to um, as you say um, walk the talk well, that's very interesting. I don't know whether you caught the uh, episode of the Sustainable Futures Report for last Friday, the 10th of March, but uh, I was at Lilac, which is a low oh, yes, impact yes. in yep. Leeds. Yes. A very, very similar sort of uh, organisation. Yes. Um, they were developed around about the same time that we were. 
Um, they are very different style of construction because yes. they're straw bale uh, modular cells. We're possibly, a, it looks more traditional, I think. Um, and they are a, a smaller community than we are. Yes. But they have a different financial model as well. So um, the affordable community aspect of their development is, is very strong, um, which we um, we were not able to uh, to fulfill that part of it. But we're still low-impact living. Yes, yes. Yeah. So sustainability uh, is a lifestyle choice, clearly. But have you made this choice because you feel that we have to contribute to uh, reducing humanity's impact on the world and if that's the case given that you do a lot of work consulting with businesses are you taking the sustainability message to them as part of that work yes and yes okay <laughs> yes um i mean the reason um why i've chosen the lifestyle that i have is that i do believe that this is what everyone should be doing and I don't think it needs to be done in a hair shirt way. I have a very, com what I think is a very comfortable lifestyle. The house that I have is low cost. It's very comfortable. Um, everything I do is, is at my convenience. So I don't feel that I'm, I'm having to suffer in any way to do that. And I, part of um, what I do is, or through living here, is to try and uh, promote this as an example of what other people can do. So, for example, yesterday I was showing uh, 40 undergraduate students around the project as an example for them as uh, human geography students uh, who are studying sustainability as to, to what can be done. So it combines the elements of technology and behaviour change. Right. So but in, in, in a wider context, in, in terms of taking out to business, um, I run a lot of management and leadership development programs, and I'm, I'm sometimes dictated as to what the content of those programs will be in terms of the, the, the input, but I try and introduce a sustainability um, message when people are doing projects. So if they're looking at an improvement project in their organisation, I try to encourage them to think about well, what are the environmental, what's the environmental impact of your project as well? So, and, and also, what could be the impact of um, environmental changes on your project? So, for example, if I'm working with people in the NHS, um, if we're going to suffer, suffer, if we're going to experience climate change, what impact might that have on your particular trust? So, I know that in York and here, where I'm based, we had issues of flooding last year. So what impact does that have on people's health in terms of physical health, but also well-being? So there, there are lots of, of ways in which you can introduce it, even if it isn't specifically part of the curriculum, just to encourage people to think about, well, when, when you're doing your external analysis of the organisation, you're doing your pestle, and you look at the political, economic, social, technological, legal and environmental issues to think about what are the global and local impacts for your organisation. So I, I try to introduce it um, within lots of other topics because I think it's a, a lens through which you can look at lots of things. Um, I'm also involved in a process called Carbon Conversations where um, 
you can run a series of conversations with groups. Now that can be done with um, groups of individuals who come together. Uh, it can be run within organisations. Um, so it's, it, it can be done with you know, the general public, but it also works well within organisations. And we look at, you know, what's the, um, what are the issues that the this group face around um, energy use, travel, food, and consumption and waste. So we look at those areas and look at what individuals can do, can choose to do, to address their impact in those areas. You, you said earlier that the sustainable lifestyle is not a hair shirt approach. In other words, you can enjoy life just as much, but doing things the sustainable way, <clears throat> excuse me, and in business as well, is just a different way of doing things. And in some cases, it's more economically efficient. But the issue, I think, is getting the message across. Now, yes. last yes. year, we had two major events, which was Brexit and the election of Donald Trump. And people said that the reason that those happened was that the opposition, the opposition to leaving the EU and the opposition to Donald Trump, had nothing but negative messages to offer. So if we are going to uh, encourage people to be more sustainable and basically change their behaviour, how are we going to do this? And do you agree that giving them lots of scares, stories and, and things like that is the wrong approach? A um, couple of, of things to answer there. Firstly, I think the, the Brexit and uh, Trump election issues are much more complex than that. So mm -hmm. there, there's a lot in there about um, communication on both sides. Um, and there, there are lessons, obviously lessons to be learned from all of that. Um, but yes, I, I agree that... Um, Scaring people doesn't work. It just makes people scared. Mm. And scared people aren't motivated people. So things like the, the conversations, just give people information, but say, it's up to you. It's your choice. Um, so behavior change is, again, is a complex issue, but has to be seen within the context of the other things that are happening. So for organizations, are they covered by any... Um, policy or legal requirements so you've got those issues mm -hmm. but also um, you have to look at what can be achieved through technology as well so I think that having um, you know a multifaceted approach to achieving uh, the reductions that we need it, it's it's not a simple question um, but behavior change in itself is incredibly complex because it involves people who are incredibly complex and how you appeal to people is more likely to be effective through a positive message than through um, causing fear or anxiety in people. Right. You mentioned technology. There's been something in the press recently about uh, a company which has been analysing people's behavioural profile through their postings on social media and then targeting advertisements to those people based on, if you like, their psychological profiling. Um, that sounds to me a bit scary, and that sounds to me as though it's a tool which in the wrong hands, for example in the hands of the climate change denialists, could be very dangerous. Have you heard about that? 
I haven't heard about it, and my initial reaction was that that scares me um, on a number of levels. Um, as you said, if it gets that sort of technology gets into the wrong hands, but also um, psychological profiling is is again another um, complex area, and trying to link behaviour to that, I think is um, is flawed. It's a flawed approach. Um, I'd be interested to find out more about about that issue, though, just to just to see what what is out there and what people are claiming they can do. The, the final question I'd like to approach is what you feel about where we are and the sort of progress that we're making towards a sustainable world. There's more to be done, but are you a person who believes that we are making progress, or are you someone who believes we've left it all too late and um, there's nothing that can be done. I think the, the, the answer lies somewhere between those. Um, I think there is a lot of work being done. And if you look in the right places, you can find it. I mean, if you, if you read things like Winning the Carbon War by Jeremy Leggett, Indeed. then um, uh, if you, um, The Switch by Chris Goodall, then, you know, we, we are um, we are making ste- you know, big steps in the right direction. If you look at the increase in renewable energy production, um, and use, then we're moving in the right direction. Um, what's, what is challenging is, is continuing to do that within the current political framework, which seems to be less than encouraging about some of those areas. So um, I was in Paris during the, the climate change uh, negotiations and was greatly heartened by the, the commitment to attempt to keep our, um, to keep climate change below two degrees um i yeah sometimes i wake up in the morning and think we're we're not going to achieve it it's not going to happen however if i carried on with that i wouldn't do the work that i do i have to believe that there's still an opportunity for us to to achieve what's possible and that's what i'm committed to doing is being an example of that and showing people that you can achieve um, a personal carbon footprint of below three tons if you want to um, and there are lots of pleasant ways of achieving that yes i think you're right whatever the circumstances uh, if you don't believe that something can be done then you might as well stay in bed all day exactly and, yeah. <laughs> and shut the door and forget yeah. it yeah Yes. I have my own concerns. You'll probably think I'm a hypocrite uh, in that I talk about sustainability and I believe we should do a great deal about it. And I've just finished um, organising our trip to Australia at the end of the year. And that's going to have an immense carbon footprint. Do you think that's dishonest? Do you think that's immoral? Oh, absolutely. You terrible person. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a choice. And there are ways of offsetting that. So... Yeah, if you have good reasons for doing that, then that's that's fine. Well, um, family uh, there, yes, that's the yeah, reason. Yeah, it's it, love miles are um, a, you know a, a great incentive for people to travel. Yes, um, and you know it's it's seeing that in a bigger context. So there may be other things that you're doing which are actually reducing that. It doesn't give you a you know the license, the moral license to do that, and you are recognising that. Um, I think there's still a, a big message to, to get out to individuals and organisations about exactly what the impact is that they're having. You are aware of that and you're doing that 
and there's there's an element of cognitive dissonance there for you that yes. you know, I'm I'm doing this, but I know I I really shouldn't be doing this, and I'm you know, but you know you have to make those choices. Yes, yes. And, and as I say, within a context of your your whole whole lifestyle, it may be that you know one trip to Australia in your whole lifetime might be the the you know something that makes a huge difference to you in terms of your your own personal health and well-being and um, developing positive relationships with your family. Yeah, well, I have um, to admit it's not the first trip, nor the second. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. But you mentioned offsetting. I've become very cynical about offsetting, and I'm sure you come across the controversy about uh, biomass, biofuels. Yes. Yeah. I, what, what's your position on offsetting? Uh, you know, people say, oh, yes, go flying somewhere and then buy some trees, but I, I can't see that that works. I think there's a place for it. I think if it's used um, as an excuse, you know, oh it's, oh, it's fine for me to do all this because I do something else. I think then it's then it becomes a, a license to behave in particular ways. And it's a bit like I've been to the gym, therefore I can have this Mars bar um, and another Mars bar and another Mars bar um, <laughs> because I'm going to go to the gym again next week. Um, not looking at the, the the wider context of that, so I uh, I use offsetting in it in a um, a wider sense. So yes, by all means, um, I think buying trees is a great thing to do um, because I love forests. That's a that's a personal view. Um, but I I use offsetting in thinking about well, um, what's the impact in the rest of your life? Mm. So but, have but, you have you looked at your investments? Do you look at where? where your mortgage is do you look at where your savings are do you look at where your pension is so have you considered that aspect you know, are you profligate in, um, in your consumption so you, you may be in some ways this is it's about behavioral spillover mm. so mm. you know you, and the, the compensatory effects may may operate in that well actually i'm i'm much better in lots of other areas so that does give me some license, but I, I still think there's that element of cognitive dissonance which is occurring. Um, yes. So you know you shouldn't be doing it, but all the reasons people give for doing the things that they know they shouldn't do, um, because you know I want to, um, I like it, um, well everyone else is doing it. Um, actually, it's not going to make that much difference anyway. So so there's lots of reasons that people give for behaviour that they. You know, is creating that um, element of cognitive dissonance within them. So. Jan, no. thank you for, for your thoughts and ideas. If there's one thing that anybody listening to this should go and do tomorrow to make the world uh, a better and more sustainable place, is there anything you'd like to suggest? Um, I'd like to suggest, this is a bit like um, uh, Desert Island Discs. Can I suggest more than one thing, please? <sighs> Um, <laughs> yes, all right. Yeah. Um, it really depends where people are at the moment. Yes. Um, if people have already looked at their energy use and they've reduced that and they've changed their supplier to a, an ethical supplier, then you know, that, that to me is, if you like, the, the, the first quick win that you can get. Um, after that, it might be looking at you know, what's, your, what's your normal travel um, process. Do you, is your default to, to go to the car? Or is your default to look at public transport? So maybe just thinking about travel options. And then the third thing would be around food, because that's a, a massive issue. Um, and it contributes more 
in terms of greenhouse gas emissions than travel. Um, and it's possibly an easier thing to do for a lot of people. So reducing your um, animal product consumption, because that's a, a, a huge contributor to, to greenhouse gas emissions. So just thinking about, you know, could you substitute more plant-based food? Yeah, well, it's very interesting you should mention that because uh, later on today I'm doing an interview with representatives of the Humane Society of the United States who want to talk specifically about that. Yes. And that will be an episode in itself uh, a bit later on. Yeah. Because I know that was one of, one of the things that was easiest for me to do, probably easier than giving up my car, mm -hmm. um, was, was giving up um, dairy products. Oh, I see. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank Jan you, Anthony. Many thanks to Dr. Jan Maskell, psychologist and sustainability professional. Did you catch that acronym she mentioned? PESTLE, P-E-S-T-L-E. I think it stands for Political, Economic, Social, Technological, Legal and Environmental. All the angles you need to cover. As I said, links to resources mentioned in the interview are on the blog at anthonyday.blogspot.com. And that's it for this week. Next week's episode is another interview, and this time there will be a full transcript on the blog. I'm talking about the link between meat and climate change with Christy Middleton and Dr. Helen Howard of the Humane Society of the US. I'm also planning developments and enhancements to the Sustainable Futures Report. Watch this space for more news soon and, of course, for the next issue of the Sustainable Futures Report, which will be out next week. This is Anthony Day. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. Thanks for listening. Thank you.